Hi everyone, Tommy here, to let you know that you can now pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book due out on November 5th from Ave Maria Press. You can order wherever books and ebooks are sold. We'll put the link to the book on Ave's website in the show notes, so you can go and check it out and use the code BEWELL, all one word, to get 25% off. Thanks so much! St. John the 23rd once said, Never hesitate to hold out your hand. Never hesitate to accept the outstretched hand of another. Welcome to the 100th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to remember to reach out to offer support to those in need and to remember that reaching out for help ourselves is never a sign of weakness, but rather a sign of great strength. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. Today, we're going to explore a question that gets sent my way quite a bit, and that question is, how important do you think it is to have a therapist that is Catholic? For starters, let's take a moment to join in prayer for everyone seeking out therapy, that they may have quick access to effective and affordable care with a therapist who shows them compassion and helps them reach their goals. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I think it's wonderful that Catholics consider this question when seeking out mental health treatment. It really shows how important the faith is to those of us who think about it, and it's a beautiful thing. That being said, my personal opinion is that searching out a Catholic therapist isn't as important as many of us make it out to be. I think we envision that a therapist is going to recommend we do things to go against our beliefs. The primary concern for Catholics here probably being that a therapist is going to recommend divorce, right? But as a therapist, let me assure you that we always take into consideration an individual's beliefs, worldviews, moral stances, etc. when we're in a therapeutic relationship with them. And even me as a Catholic therapist might explore the idea of separation or even divorce if we're talking about physical or psychological safety, right? Much more important than finding a therapist with a crucifix on the wall and a rosary in their pocket is finding a therapist with experience in working with individuals who are experiencing the same symptoms that you're going through. If you have OCD, for example, you need a therapist who knows exposure response and prevention therapy. If you're experiencing symptoms because of trauma, you need a trauma-informed therapist, etc. If I'm experiencing borderline personality disorder, for example, I would be much better off connecting with a therapist who has experience and training in dialectical behavioral therapy than finding a therapist who shares my religious beliefs but hasn't been trained in DBT and would just kind of be winging it or using a mode of therapy that 
isn't evidence-based for my situation. Of course, this is my opinion, my own thoughts on the matter, and I'm not trying to discourage anyone from doing what they might think is best for them. There may be some of us who would only feel comfortable with a Catholic therapist, and that's okay. It's better to get connected and start receiving some treatment than to keep putting it off when we need it. And hopefully, if that Catholic therapist is unsure of how to help with the experience you're going through, they'll know some quality folks to refer you to so you can reach your goals for wellness. I hope that helps. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm going to introduce you to Blessed Claudio Granzotto. Born in 1900 in Italy, he was the youngest of nine children. His parents were peasants who needed his help to work in the fields during his childhood, especially when he was nine years old because his father passed away. In 1915, he was drafted into the First World War and fought with the Italian armed forces until 1918. He started when he was 15 fighting in this war, you guys. With the end of the war, he was able to engage in studies and developed a talent for sculpting, specifically enjoying religious artwork. He ended up experiencing experiencing a religious calling after meeting a Franciscan priest and eventually entered the Order of the Friars Minor in 1933. His pastor of the time wrote, The Order is receiving not only an artist, but a saint. He became a novice and took on the name Claudio and had an opportunity to craft a beautiful statue after winning a competition, but ended up feeling crushed after getting denied because he didn't support fascism. He eventually decided not to pursue ordination and lived the rest of his life as a professed religious at the Franciscan convent in Padua, dedicating his life to the gospel, helping the poor, and his art. He died in 1945 from a brain tumor. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Blessed Claudio Granzotto, you used your talents as an artist to praise and worship the Lord. Through your guidance, may we also use our own unique God-given talents for the good of others. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Annie gets us started. The news and Twitter and just everything has been wearing me down lately. People seem so angry and hurt, and there's so much divisiveness and bad news out there. I feel my heart break a little every time I see a snide comment about a topic I hold dear, like my faith or the dignity of human life. So my question is, how can I bolster myself when interacting with the world? What things can I do, saints can I read, or prayers can I pray that will fortify me and remind me that God is good, and there is always hope. Well, let's join together in prayer for Annie and for all of us being worn down by the constant negativity in our world, for a turn to the true, beautiful, and hopeful, and for peace in our hearts. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First off, please know that you aren't alone. So many of us feel the exact same way, overwhelmed by the negativity, the divisiveness, and as you mentioned, the disregard for even a basic belief in God and belief that all human life has dignity and worth. It can get so overwhelming at times that we can lose hope that things will ever get better. 
The first thing I have found helpful is to unplug, get off my phone, get away from the news, and spend time with people in the real world. Go for walks, go out in nature, get away from the constant stream of information coming our way, and just be present in God's creation. I know. It kind of sounds too simple, right? But this has been such a great coping mechanism for me when I'm feeling overwhelmed by the things you mentioned. We'll look to great good news from UC Berkeley for more. Staying informed and educated is important. However, constant exposure to negative reporting may be bad for your well-being. The World Health Organization has found news coverage can increase distress and anxiety, and a recent study suggests news reports shared through social media lead to increased panic. If you find yourself beginning to feel negative impacts from the news, now is the time to start putting protective steps in place. Regulating consumption of news includes making a conscious decision to take time out from media for a period of time. Never blame yourself for experiencing negative emotions. It's important to acknowledge that it's your right to feel how you do. In doing so, acknowledge that you also have control over your reactions. Investing time in your physical care can help provide you the best chance to react positively to stressful situations, healthy body, healthy mind. If you're being triggered by negative news coverage, try to find some positive resources to focus on. And last, if you feel like it's needed, contact support groups or healthcare professionals. It's important to recognize the value of positive social support and to recognize that seeking help is a positive and strong step. These contexts can also help you find other helpful resources. You are not alone reach out for support. So back to me, since you mentioned saints and prayers to help with this, I have to recommend Blessed James Alberione, the founder of the Pauline family, including the Daughters of St. Paul. He had a lot of thoughts on how we consume media, how it impacts us. And this prayer he composed is one that I find especially helpful and pray every morning. My God, I do not know what will happen to me today. I know only that nothing will happen to me that was not foreseen by you, and directed to my greater good from all eternity, and this is enough for me. I adore your eternal and unfathomable designs and submit to them with all my heart for love of you. I offer the sacrifice of my whole being to you and join my sacrifice to that of Jesus, my divine Savior. In his name and by his infinite merits, I ask for patience in my sufferings and perfect submission so that everything you want or permit to happen will result in your greater glory and my sanctification. Amen. Anonymous is up next. I know lots of ADHD folks who, for example, fell into pornography or into taking risky behaviors impulsively, and later on they're devastated because they really had the sincere will to stop doing it, but have the impulse later and end up doing it again. And I would be interested in a discussion about ADHD and how it affects willpower. So let's join together in prayer for all of us who experience ADHD and all the symptoms that come along with it for effective treatment that we can access easily, and for God to come into our hearts with his compassion this very day. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. 
Thank you for this wonderful question. And hopefully it gives those of us experiencing ADHD an opportunity to know that we aren't alone. Let's start by going through some definitions. ADHD is talked about so much in the popular culture that we can often think we know what it is without actually knowing what it is. So let's take a look at the DSM-5 for a little help with this. ADHD is a persistent pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity or impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development as characterized by inattention and six or more of the following symptoms that have persisted for at least six months. Only five of these symptoms are required for adults to get a diagnosis, okay? Often fails to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work, uh, or during other activities. Often has difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or play activities. Often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly. Often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties at work often has difficulty organizing tasks and activities, often avoids dislikes or is reluctant to engage in tasks that require sustained mental effort, often loses things necessary for tasks or activities, is often distracted by extraneous stimuli or internal thoughts, and is often forgetful in daily activities. Now, for the additional diagnosis of hyperactivity and impulsivity, we need six or more of the following symptoms that I'm going to read next for at least the next six for at least six months. And again, only five of these are needed for a diagnosis in adults. Often fidgets with or taps hands or feet or squirms in seat. Often leaves seat in situations where remaining seated is expected. Often runs around and climbs in situations where it's inappropriate or in adults. This might be just like feeling restless, right? Adults aren't climbing up on stuff typically. Uh, Often unable to play or engage in leisure activities quietly. Often talks excessively. Often blurts out an answer before a question has been completed. Often has difficulty waiting his or her turn. Often interrupts or intrudes on others. Just want to say real quick that if you pick up the DSM and read the definitions of diagnoses, it's very easy to read yourself into every diagnosis. Uh, Everybody who goes to grad school for psychology thinks they have every diagnosis in the book. So, you know, you really, you can use it as like a guide, but you should really have a professional help you walk through if you actually have it because lots of us experience all of those things, right? Okay, back to me. The idea that you bring up uh, about ADHD and willpower is an interesting one because it reminds me of something we talk about quite a bit in the field of mental health, the comorbidity of ADHD and bipolar disorder. According to the National Institutes of Health, bipolar disorder affects between 0 and 6% of youths around the world, averaging about 1.8%. ADHD is far more common with an estimated prevalence of 5 to 10%. If BPD and ADHD were completely independent, then we would expect only about 2% of cases with ADHD would have bipolar disorder. Conversely, only about 8% of cases with bipolar disorder would be expected to have ADHD. However, a recent review found that the rates of comorbidity tended to be elevated well above chance levels. A a meta-analysis of seven BPD studies finding an average rate of 62%, also meeting criteria for ADHD, thus Border, or bipolar disorder and ADHD comorbidity is too common to be a chance co-occurrence of independent phenomenon. 62% comorbidity. So back to me. This possible link between diagnoses obviously isn't the entire answer to why many of us who experience ADHD also find it difficult to navigate the pull toward impulsive choices or choices that go against the desire of our will. But I do think it's something interesting to think about and something that may be worth exploring once we get linked to care. So I think it's worth bringing up uh, to your helping professionals so you can make sure you're being screened appropriately in order to receive the best possible treatment. Lastly, I think it's important to give a little reminder about when our behavior doesn't conform to our will. First, 
St. Paul experienced the same thing. He said, quote, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So we're in good company here. And second, when our mental health and emotional state leads us to making choices that we wouldn't otherwise make if we weren't experiencing symptoms, our culpability for mortal sin is assuredly mitigated because we don't have full consent of our will. And I think that's important to remember because um, we can become hopeless if we don't keep this at the forefront of our minds when we're going through this in our lives, okay? Another anonymous wraps us up. I'm autistic. My routines are very important to me and not having them triggers meltdowns. I'm also an altar server at daily and Sunday mass and help the sacristan with a lot of his work. I was recently discharged from the hospital to a home treatment team. And on Friday, this team showed up unscheduled at my home, surprising me and making me late to mass and unable to serve. I had a shutdown event in the sacristy and cried. The priest came in and began talking about ground rules and that if something like that happened again, I would be taken off the serving team. The question is, how do I cope with this? How do I get the diocese to be more open and not see my behavior as poor conduct? Let's please join together in prayer for Anonymous, for a supportive community, for good mental and emotional well-being, and for understanding from those around them. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Please be assured of our prayers moving forward and keep that in mind, that you have a whole bunch of people reaching out to God for, your, for you to experience peace, understanding, and compassionate support from those around you. It's so hard because it shouldn't be on you to have to help those around you be more open to understanding and seeing what you're going through. It shouldn't be on you to help them see that you aren't behaving badly, but rather going through a mental health experience that requires understanding and compassion. If I could, I would send all of those working with you at the parish and the diocese to mental health first aid training as a way of helping them come to a better understanding of mental health issues and helping them learn to work through and leave behind some of the stigma they've picked up along their own journey. From their website, Mental Health First Aid is a course that teaches you how to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental illness and substance use disorders. The training gives you the skills you need to reach out and provide initial help and support to someone who may be developing a mental health or substance use problem or experiencing a crisis. In addition to that, I would recommend for you to reach out to your local branch of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, for support and ideas on how to help encourage your community around you to be more understanding and supportive. NAMI is a wonderful organization and can be reached at any time at 800-950-6264. In addition to being immediately available for support via texting NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741741. As the NAMI website reminds us, people with mental illness are deserving of recovery and respect and we must keep this in mind during our response to them in times of crisis. I'll continue to pray for you that your treatment team helps move toward wellness in a way that's compassionate and mindful of the respect you deserve and that those around you help to maintain an environment that keeps you safe and moving forward on your journey to wellness. God bless. 
All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.